There's an old saying in the fight game, and it's that the money is in the rematch. I don't know who coined that phrase, but fictional boxer Lincoln Tyler and Snake Eyes from 1998 used it, so it was already well known over 20 years ago. And it's the truth, big rematches do tend to sell well. You would assume that means a second fight was warranted based on how the first one concluded, but you'd be absolutely wrong, and this video will serve as a testament to that. Today we're taking a look at 10 high-level, high-profile runbacks, which means sorry no Ortiz Liddell 3, that if we're being entirely honest with ourselves, didn't really need to happen when they did, based on the merits. But probably happened because MMA is first and foremost a business. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and the UFC 265 hype train is rolling. So come jump on board with Bet Online, the official partners to MMA On Point. Feeling confident about the fights? On August 7th at UFC 265, you can play along with us during our live in-studio fight companion using the code ONPOINT to get a 50% sign-up bonus good for up to $1,000. More on that later, but for now, here are 10 big rematches we really didn't need. Number 10. Misha Tate vs. Ronda Rousey 2 what do you do when you're trying to kickstart a division in the UFC that only has two or three high-profile names? You get rematches that shouldn't have happened when they did. Ronda Rousey came into the UFC as the women's bantamweight champion. She earned that title in Strikeforce when she beat rival Misha Tate with a first-round armbar. After Ronda's UFC debut title defense against Liz Carmouche, the promotion had a brilliant idea. Let's take the two most notable name fighters besides Ronda and have them compete for a position as a coach on the Ultimate Fighter opposite of Rousey. Those two notable figures were Misha Tate and Katzingano. The bout was fantastic, fight of the night, and ended with some devastating knees from Cat for a TKO. There was instant intrigue over Zingano, and with a whole season opposite of Rousey, their fight would have an incredible buildup. Then Cat injured her knee and would require surgery. Well, shit. Was it the right time based on the merits to put Misha back in the title fold and have her coach tough? No, but she was a name, and the buildup of her rivalry with Rousey on the show was important and vital to maintaining that division's momentum in the early days. So the rematch that we really didn't need yet happened, and for good enough reason, really. Tate would have the best showing against Ronda besides the two fighters who would beat her down the line, but ultimately succumbed to a third round armbar. Number 9. Hannah Burrell vs. TJ Dillashaw 2 at what point does a fighter's previous accomplishments outweigh the reality of a particular matchup? Hennan Burrell was a dominant force during his nine-fight WEC and UFC run. Six finishes, an interim bantamweight title eventually upgraded to Undisputed that he would defend once against Uriah Faber. His previous accomplishments on the Brazilian regional scene often touted as well. 23 straight wins without a single loss, 16 stoppages, unbeaten for nearly a decade. All of that resulted in Burrell being a massive betting favorite against late replacement TJ Dillashaw at UFC 173. Then the fight happened. TJ absolutely dominated the champion. This wasn't a 13-second KO. This wasn't even Anderson getting dropped in the second round against Weidman. This was four and a half rounds of completely outclassing the champion and capping it off with not a 50-44 on two of three judges' scorecards, but a head kick finish. It is one of the all-time great title fight performances and is still the biggest betting underdog at closing to ever win in the UFC. Yes, bigger than Holly Holmes' closing line. I see that comment anytime I mention this fight. Now, yes, what Burrell had done previously was incredible, but this bout was not even competitive. Hard to call something that definitive for that long a fluke, and yet, the two were immediately put in a second fight, in part because there simply weren't too many names for Dillashaw to fight at that point, and because the UFC wanted to capitalize on the question of whether TJ could somehow do it again. Due to some weight-cut issues, the rematch would be delayed, but when it happened a year and a half later, it was more of the same, with the champ taking out Barrow in the fourth this time, making it very clear that they were on different levels, something apparent in the first fight. 
Number 8. Jose Aldo vs. Max Holloway 2 There's been a pretty consistent need for the UFC to put title fights together on cards that don't feature Conor McGregor. If it's a pay-per-view and there's a headliner, there better be some strap on the line. Hell, we might even make one up from time to time. This need for belts on posters led to a rematch of a recent beatdown between Max Holloway and Jose Aldo for the featherweight title. The pair met at UFC 212 in a unification bout. While the first round was competitive, Holloway would gradually start to pull away, and by the third round completely overwhelm the champion, finishing him with a TKO and ultimately outstruck striking Aldo almost 2-1. to one. It was an incredible performance and a crowning moment for the Hawaiian. Next, both men would move on, or so they thought. Aldo was scheduled to headline a fight night card against Ricardo Lamas, and Max was to defend his title against Frankie Edgar at UFC 218. Less than a month before the pay-per-view, though, Frankie had to pull out, and oh my god, we have a pay-per-view without a title fight. Sound the alarms. Somebody call up Joe Silva to ask him what we should do. Ultimately, Aldo would be given another go at gold back-to-back. It was way too soon, and it just didn't make sense, besides the fact that the division belonged to Joe for so long, but there must be gold and that was the solution they went with. The outcome was another three-round beatdown, with Max again cranking up the pressure massively in the third and overwhelming the King of Rio in a rematch we didn't need. Number 7. Kazushi Sakuraba vs. Vanderlei Silva 2 and 3 we all love Kazushi Sakuraba. He's one of the most revered fighters in the history of mixed martial arts. He's the face of Japanese MMA. And he never should have fought Vanderlei Silva twice, let alone three times. Their first meeting, I totally get. Vandy was a replacement for Boss Rutten at Pride 13. This was right after Sakuraba's legendary Gracie run. He was at the height of his powers. What started as a wild brawl that saw Kazushi land a single good shot quickly devolved into the Japanese megastar getting absolutely destroyed with knees and soccer kicks on the ground. It was a brutal beatdown. The first time Sakuraba had ever actually been stopped. A stunned crowd watched as their hero handed his unofficial Saku belt to Vandy afterwards as a sign of respect. It was a passing of the torch moment. But eight months later, after Kazushi rebounded with a victory over the debuting Rampage Jackson, Pride wanted a big-time matchup for the inaugural middleweight title. How about a rematch with Vandy? While the grappling was somewhat competitive in the first round, at no point did Kazushi have Silva in trouble, and a slam late in the round would result in a broken collarbone and a doctor's stoppage following the bell. Over the next year, Sakuraba would go one and two, getting finished twice. Krokop broke his orbital alone. As for Vandy, he'd won four straight with four finishes and went to a draw with Mirko. The two would meet a third time in the opening round of the 2003 middleweight GP. Sakuraba, the madman, was given this fight as a consolation because he didn't get the requested Fedor bout he wanted. Vandy would KO the Japanese legend in the first five minutes, and thankfully Pride never let this matchup happen again. Number 6. Bigfoot Silva vs. Cain Velasquez 2 I know you don't need me to tell you this, but heavyweight is weird. It's a weird division, especially in the UFC. It seems like at any given time, it's feast or famine. It's either stacked to the gills or thin as rice paper, but either way, be it through defeat, injury, or diverticulitis, the guy at the top isn't going to stay there for too long historically, and matchups can get a bit weird when there's not a lot of options. Take, for example, what happened with Cain Velasquez and Bigfoot Silva. Cain takes the title from Brock Lesnar, then loses it in a minute to Junior Dos Santos. Next, in a title eliminator, he fights Bigfoot and absolutely destroys him. A takedown in the opening seconds, followed by one of the bloodiest three-and-a-half-minute beatdowns you'll ever see. It looked like it was directed by Lionel Starkweather. Off that win, Velasquez would reclaim his title from JDS in a five-round beatdown. In the year since he was destroyed by Kane, Bigfoot defeated Travis Brown when he hurt himself throwing spinny shit, and then Silva capitalized on his inability to move. He then knocked out cocky Alistair Overeem, who was being cocky. They were both great moments, but there's a serious problem. The two wins made Bigfoot basically the only heavyweight contender besides Dos Santos, who Velasquez just beat. So, almost a year to the day since Silva was brutalized by Kane, he got a second chance and got beaten half the time. It took just a minute 21. Heavyweight gonna heavyweight. Number 5. Leslie Smith vs. Chris Cyborg 2 
In the early days of the Cyborg UFC experiment, Chris was forced to fight at 140 pounds for reasons that still aren't exactly clear, and the first of those bouts was against Leslie Smith at UFC 198. After about a minute of feeling out, Justino swarmed, dropped Smith, and finished the bout. It was your standard Cyborg fare. Now, Leslie was not happy with the stop, and of course she wouldn't be. She's just about as tough as anyone who's ever stepped into the cage. But for most, there appeared to be no controversy in the finish. Chris would go on to be the featherweight champ before being dethroned by Amanda Nunes, and following a win over Felicia Spencer, the UFC was out of the Cyborg business. Bellator was not, though, and upon her debut, Chris would win the promotion's 145-pound strap and defend it once in 2020. Her first fight of this year was against Leslie Smith again. Smith fought once in 2020, beating Amanda Bell at a 140-pound catchweight. Bell's best career win at that point was Janae Harding, who was 5-3 at the time. The fight felt very Scott Coker, very Bellator. Leslie Smith is a known fighter, everyone knows she's tough, they need opponents for Cyborg, and so they made the rematch. Chris was a minus 2200 favorite. Now don't get me wrong, Smith was game all five rounds, despite some serious punishment in every single one of them, but she was still ultimately finished late in the fifth. I think the only rematch with Cyborg that ever needs to really happen is Amanda Nunes. Number 4. Ken Shamrock vs. Tito Ortiz 3 big money and any kind of question at all about the legitimacy of a win will mean the UFC makes a rematch in a heartbeat. Case in point, Tito Ortiz versus Ken Shamrock 3. The two parties had a long storied history going all the way back to the rivalry between Team Punishment and the Lions Den in those early days of Ortiz's UFC career. This all culminated with Ken and Tito for the light heavyweight title at UFC 40, a landmark show for the UFC that saw double the usual buy rate of the early Zufa era. Ortiz put it on Shamrock from start to finish, resulting in a corner stoppage after the third. It was total domination. Four years later, their rivalry was used to compel fans to watch Tough Season 3, where the two would serve as coaches. Tito's still a big star, can at that point more a name than anything. As was customary at the time, the two fought after the season at UFC 61. Ortiz immediately took down Shamrock and began pummeling him with big shots. A minute 18 in, Herb Dean had seen enough and called the fight. Now, by modern standards, this one wouldn't have caused too much controversy. Maybe he could have let Ken get hit with a few more elbows, but it was by no means some egregious failure on Herb's part. But Shamrock walked around like he had a victory stolen from him and the crowd was booing, meaning an immediate rematch to one of the least competitive rivalries in UFC history was a go. The trilogy bout would be almost identical to the second fight, this time with Big John letting the beatdown go long enough to satiate the fans. Number 3. Conor McGregor vs. Dustin Poirier 3 if I could show you a fight between two blank figures, no crowd, no commentary, the fighters are featureless and nameless, just two representations of the human form, and what played out was the exact fight that Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier had at UFC 257, would you say that the loser of that bout should immediately get a rematch? Of course you wouldn't. Was it somewhat competitive? Sure. Lots of fights are. Did one person definitively win? Yes, they did. What questions were left behind? None, really. But before Conor and Dustin had even left the cage, the idea that this would be a trilogy was already floating around. Maybe it's because it was just too much of a win for everyone involved. Dustin got another big high-profile fight and payday, Connor would get a chance to avenge his first ever real TKO loss, and the UFC would make a ton of money. But does that mean we needed this rematch? No, it doesn't. We didn't. Poirier is the obvious number one contender in the lightweight division. He should be fighting for the title. This was Connor's first fight in a year, his last victory over Donald Cerrone. Nothing about how that fight ended warranted the third fight at UFC 264. I get that they were one and one, but they're first fight happened so long ago, they might as well not even be the same people anymore. The UFC 264 rematch was strictly business. It was artificially constructed. In no other scenario would that fight have taken place, but it absolutely served its purpose. 1.8 million estimated buys. With the unfortunate ending to that bout though, despite Poirier scoring 10-8s on two cards in the first round, another bout is inevitable in a year or so now, making this entry all the stronger. 
Number two, Jorge Masvidal versus Kamar Usman 2. It's amazing how a narrative and massive popularity can get you back-to-back -back title fights, even if you lost every single round on the initial attempt, but for a single judge who gave you the first. Much like Connor and Dustin, this one was strictly business. Jorge Masvidal shot to start him in 2019, rapidly becoming a top-tier draw in the sport over the course of three fights. It's one of the best years anyone has ever had, and as a result of it, the payoff was a title fight and gigantic pay-per-view buy rate. Gamebred challenged welterweight champion Kamaru Usman at UFC 251 in the main event, a show that would have an estimated one point. 3 million buys. It is not easy breaking that number when your name isn't Connor, Ronda, or Brock. And while it was a stacked card, make no mistake, Masvidal's late inclusion is what generated those kinds of numbers. And it was also because of his late inclusion that there was a built-in excuse to have a second bout, even though the champion won in definitive fashion, all but shutting down the challenger for the vast majority of 25 minutes. Immediately afterwards, the narrative became how Jorge didn't have enough time to prepare, which is technically true. Gilbert Burns dropped out on July 3rd, and the card was on July 12th. But if you listen to teammate Dustin Poirier, Masvidal had been training with him for his entire fight camp and was essentially in game day condition. But the narrative stuck, and with buy rates like that, the UFC put together the rematch that next April. This one ending even more definitively with a brutal KO and a buy rate of about half their previous outing. Number 1. BJ Penn vs. Frankie Edgar 3 you really get the sense when listening to interviews that Dana White had a lot of difficulty over the years saying no to BJ Penn. He let him compete against GSP for the welterweight title when he was the lightweight champion. He let him keep on taking fights in the promotion after a nine-year streak without a single win. And he gave him a third fight with Frankie Edgar in the middle of that losing streak after two years off. Frankie took Penn's lightweight title back at UFC 112. It was a controversial decision for some reason at the time, so they immediately ran it back, and that's fine. For a second time, Edgar took him to church. Clean sweep on the cards. Frankie would go on to have his title title run with a pair of pairs against Gray Maynard and Benson Henderson. Then he moved down to featherweight and competed against Jose Aldo for that title, came up short in a fight of the night, then beat Charlie Olives. So at the time of the third fight with Penn, Frankie was a top-tier talent still. BJ hadn't won in almost four years and hadn't fought in two, but he convinced Dana he was better than ever. It was a new weight class, a new start. He had changed everything up about his training and his conditioning, his dieting. This was the best ever BJ Penn. So he let him coach tough opposite of Edgar, and the two met in the finale on International Fight Week. BJ looked like a ghost of himself and got absolutely destroyed, being mercifully TKO'd in the third round. Edgar has gone on to be in two other title fights, while Penn just kept on losing and losing. This fight never should have happened. BJ Penn must be some salesman. Huge shout out to Max Randall for editing this video together. Follow him on Twitter at Max underscore Randall. And thanks again to our official partners, Bet Online. Make sure to come and join us for our live UFC 265 in-studio fight companion on August 7th. You can play along with us at betonline.ag using the code ONPOINT to get a 50% sign-up bonus good for up to $1,000. See you at the violence, fight fans! Thanks for watching. Please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day.